Good morning, everyone. The reading today is 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. the younger people would like to go out, uh, now is the appropriate time to do that. Let's pray. Again, we do a lot of praying in this church. Father, we do ask for your blessing on us. We ask that as we open your word and Think about it more deeply, that you will give us eyes to, eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to understand. Pray that the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts, making plain the scriptures to us. Please bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a very apt sermon, especially after, um, apt passage, I guess, especially after um, the fate yesterday when so many people have been uh, serving um, in so many ways. I have a question for you, and it's a real question. If you had one week to live, if a, doctor, if a doctor told you, uh, you have uh, a sickness, you have one week to live, live probably cancer it would have to be, um, what, how would you spend your final week? Don't say it out loud, but take 30 seconds and just, just imagine in your mind, outline some of the, the top things that you would want to do in your final week. Hopefully some of you 
uh, most of you have got, got the main things in your mind. Um, I assume most of us would want to go spend time with, um, with family. Um, my uncle, who is backpacking across Europe, was in Greece and he met a man who ate only parsley. He's an Australian man. And my uncle went to him and he said, why do you eat only parsley? My uncle is good enough to be on MasterChef. He, he loves cooking. He goes, what is wrong with you? And the man said, I went to a doctor and the doctor said, uh, this, this Australian man said, the doctor told me I have one week to live. He said, go home, make a will right now. Go see your family. So this man went, went home and he made a will, obviously, and um, I assume that he went and spent time with his family, but he, he decided he'd just look up some crazy ideas on the internet for how to not die from cancer. And one of them was to only eat parsley, and he thought, I've only got a week to live, what can I lose? Um, and, and I don't mean to comment on whether or not parsley will cure your cancer, that doesn't seem extremely likely, but... Um, he made changes in his life because he recognized, or he thought, he didn't have much time. And as it turns out, he had more time than he thought. But he still made the changes. Um, and he was alive. It was three years after he'd had that diagnosis. Um, but our passage is similar because right at the outset, Peter says, the end of all things are, is at hand. And that's, that's a really pivotal, pivotal part of our passage. The most, perhaps the most important part. Because it gives the basis, the foundation for everything else that Peter is about to say. He says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore. So because this is true, because the end of all things is at hand, therefore behave in this way. But um, that, that's, that's our motivation. The end of all things is at hand. But a lot of people have difficulties with this saying, the end of all things is at hand, or, or the last days. Because the Bible uses it over and over and over and over. And yet, it's been almost 2,000 years since um, the, the, um, the apostles first wrote the letters and the Gospels. And clearly, the world has kept on spinning. Not like, like this. Um, so what's going on? Uh, th- these are real questions, because if, if the fact that we're living in the last days is meaningless, then, well, then why, why does Peter say, put so much importance on it? Um, can we trust the Bible? Is it, is it true? Are we truly living in the last days? These are real questions. And growing up, uh, like I didn't understand it. It was a weight on me because I, I couldn't understand how we could be living in the last days and it's 2,000 years after Jesus died and rose again. Almost 2,000 years. Um, so, so I ended up just putting it in the too hard basket and I said, I'll solve it one day. And joyfully, I think I understand it. <laughs> And I'm excited to, to, to share what I, uh, what I learned with you guys this morning. Um, um, 
To understand it better, though, we've got to do some jumping around in the Scriptures. And I've actually highlighted, because it's out of our passage, I've, uh, we've got it up on the screen. And we're, we're going to go to it in quick sequence, just a number of Scriptures. I'm just going to make a quick comment on the significance of that particular Scripture. So if we can go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Um, we read that He, Jesus, this is in the same book Peter's writing, He, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, right? So the, the Bible's using um, this same language, right? In the last times. Um, but the significance of this is that um, Jesus uh, came to defeat sin and death, right? He came in the last times for the sake of you. Right? He came to de- defeat sin and death and he did that. The victory is truly won. It's similar to perhaps if you've seen the Lord of the Rings, um, when the ring is destroyed. There's still a couple of loose ends to be tied up, but the main thrust of the story is over. over. The evil has been defeated. Good has won. And in the same way, Jesus has won. He came in the last days for the sake of us. And for the sake of us, he came and he died and rose again. That is done. The victory is won. We live in the epilogue, the final little pages of a book to resolve the loose ends. The great tension of sin and death, the great problem that the Bible makes so clear, especially in the Old Testament, that has been resolved. So so then um, we'll go quickly just to Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26. Um, Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of sin. Sacrifice of himself. So just highlighting that same thing. Jesus came to die. That was his goal. And he did that. The victory is won. The ring, if, if you know the Lord of the Rings, the ring is destroyed. Evil is defeated. Righteousness has won. We'll go, we'll go now to 2 Peter chapter 3, um, verses 3 to 10, where Peter himself addresses this, this same problem, um, the, 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 the question that we're asking. He says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? This is the question we're asking, right? 2,000 years has gone on. If we can go to the next slide. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So, so what these people are saying is, ever since the dawn of time, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they, they died, nothing has changed saying the world keeps spinning. That's what these people are saying. And Peter recognizes that this is a critique or a question that people have. He says the scoffers will say nothing has changed. The world has kept on spinning. So what are you going on about, Peter? How is it the last days? And then he continues, though, in verse 5. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by the means of these the world 
that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Peter is saying, (coughs) the Lord is not bound by time in the same way that we are. To God, the last days is a period of time. It's an an epoch, uh, a period of time. (laughs) Peter is explaining that when God says that we are in the last days, he's not... He's not thinking of days in a strictly literal sense. He's not saying there's three days left, guys. It's a big picture thing. The most important prophesied events in the Bible, they have occurred already. Jesus has returned, as was prophesied. And he has been resurrected, as was prophesied. And he has defeated Satan as was prophesied right in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Everything left, it's kind of a formality. Or not a formality, but it's the tying up of loose ends. You might say it's kind of like we're in the last days of gas cars. Um, Or we will be in, in maybe a year. All the major brands are investing billions and billions of dollars into electric vehicles. Whatever your timeline is, they're pretty sure that, that within 50 years, almost every car sold will be an electric car. At this point, it's just kind of, we, we do live in the last days of gas, gas cars. And it's the same way. We live in the last days of the world. Because the important events have occurred. And then, Peter, Peter does us a massive favor because... He actually explains why God hasn't cut off the last days already. So in verse 9, he continues and he says, Nope. All right. Well, I have it in my notes. I'm sorry. That's my fault. Um, In verse 9, so um, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not, not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The Lord, out of His mercy, is not finishing the world. Out of kindness. But when He does, it will be over in a flash. That's what Peter's telling us. He's saying, you don't know the day or the hour. Jesus Jesus said, no one but the Father knows the day or the hour. But Peter says, when it comes, it will come in a flash. Only because of God's mercy is He delaying the very end of this chapter of history. And then we have just one more passage um, from John chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. 
uh, where, um, and this is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to Peter. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he, Jesus said, to show by what kind of death he, meaning Peter, was to glorify God. So Peter knew that he was going to die before the end of the age. So when he writes his letter, we can know that he's not, things are not panning out unexpectedly for Peter. He knows that the the last days will at least last until beyond his death. Because he knows, Jesus has told him, that he will die. And he's not meaning for us to understand the last days as being a literal three days or a literal three weeks. At the time that he wrote this, in in about um, 60 AD, it had been 25 years since the, the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, and he's not, um, the de- what he means when he says in the last days, he means the defining conflict of humanity. The great problem that we faced throughout all of history after Adam and Eve sinned right in the very beginning has been solved. We can now have friendship and communion and relationship with our merciful, loving God. That's what he means by the last days. And he also means that all the major prophecies have been fulfilled and that the final day could come at any moment. And so we shouldn't be surprised. Just as Peter was, uh, wasn't surprised that Jesus hadn't already come back, we shouldn't be surprised either. We don't need to worry that something went wrong with the plan or that Peter didn't write down the truth or that the Bible isn't trustworthy. Because we truly are. We are living in the last days, in the final chapter, in the epilogue. And then the rest of this passage gets on to the implications of the fact that we are living in the final days. In the second half of verse 7, Peter exhorts or encouraging us um, to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And he's specifically contrasting um, this verse, verse 7, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers, with verse 3 of chapter 4, which we looked at about two weeks ago, which says, for, um, he, he says, just if you have your Bibles open, just flick back to verse 3 of chapter 4. For the time is past, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Peter says it's important. We're living in the last days. The end could come at any moment. And we are freed from that sinfulness. And so instead, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And what he's saying is that we need to prioritize our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We need to spend time in prayer, 
Just as um, I, don't know, I don't know how many of you chose in, when you were imagining what you would do if you had one week to live, but I assume most of you would have chosen to spend time with your family and your friends. Well, Peter says, spend time with your Heavenly Father. Jesus did that right before he was crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have used his time to, to, to impart just a little bit more wisdom or a little bit more truth to his disciples. But no, Jesus went to the Garden just before he was taken by the soldiers and, and, and then crucified, Jesus prayed. That's what Jesus was doing in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, praying with his father whom he loves. And, and Peter tells us, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Resist the temptation, all of the worldly temptations that will distract you from your relationship with your heavenly father. We, we, we know better. We, we know that the things of this world will pass away. We know that we're in the final days of history and, and that the sequel, the, the next chapter, will, is, will begin shortly. And it means that we aren't living as if we believed that right now, right here and now is the most important thing. But we are living as if we were in the final days, which we are. We're prizing the things that will last, the things that will carry us through to the next age. This first bit is the implication on our relationship with God. He says, prize that. Prize your relationship with God because we're living in the last days. And then... He goes on and he explains that we should prize our relationship with our spiritual family. He continues in verse 8 and and he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. A natural implication being part of God's eternal spiritual family, of being adopted into that family, is that we will love our adopted brothers and sisters in a real, in a practical sense. And it's actually something that I value about this church is um, the love that is is here. There's there's real love for our spiritual, our eternal family. But we will never love each other perfectly So it's always worth being conscious of and always worth working on. But be encouraged because this is something that our our church is is good at. But Peter lists lists some examples for us. He says, hospitality, um, speaking or preaching or or leading leading a fellowship group, um, serving in whatever capacity, whether that be through the, the tech ministry or the coffee ministry, or the ministry of caring for someone, or asking them how they're going, 
or the ministry of blessing your, finan- your spiritual family financially, or the ministry of helping to set up the fate or pack up the fate, or the ministry of praying for your spiritual family, whatever the area, it honors God. It glorifies God, this amazing God. It glorifies Him when you love your brothers and sisters. When you show practical love to your eternal, your spiritual family that you've been adopted into. And especially as we think about how to have unity in our church between the Afrikaans service and the English service, it's, it's worth thinking, how can I practically love my brothers and sisters who go to um, the earlier service? He says, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Peter knows that we are still sinful. We will sin against each other. I will. I don't want to, but I will sin against some of you. If I do that, please let me know, because I'd love to repent of that. But we are, we are not perfect people. Peter knows that sin will exist within the family. But he says, love one another earnestly. Despite the fact that your brothers and sisters will be sinful. Because that honors God. Because that pleases God. And it's beautiful. It's joyful. It's peaceful. What? To be part of an eternal family, spiritual family. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's um, easier for some than for others. But we should be doing that. Go to each other's um, go to each other's houses for lunch afterwards. I've done that many times um, to other people. This church is very good at doing that. We need to keep, keep doing that, showing hospitality to one another. And we need to um, be thinking, how can I bless my brothers and sisters with the, um, the gifts that God has given me, with the abilities, with the um, stuff that God has given me? We see in verse 11, um, well, really, the second half of verse 11, the result order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So in, in, the, in the first verse, in verse 7, we see the motivation. In the middle part of our passage, we see the practical outworking of that. So love God, love your brothers and sisters in a practical way. And then in the final, um, the final verses here, we see the result, which to a certain ex- extent um, doubles as a motivation as well. Peter in verse, verse 11 explains that as we do these things, as we love God and as we 
uh, we demonstrate that by prioritizing prayer in our life. It does take self-control to set aside time to, to be praying with God. As we love each other by the strength that God supplies, um, in verse 11, because it's, it's hard to love other sinful people, but as we love another, one another by the strength that God supplies, God will be glorified, which is what we want. It's a natural thing to want to glorify, to make much of, to praise, to honor that which we love. I love Google Photos. It's a brilliant app. If you come up to me after the service, I'll explain it to you. I'll make much of it. But we serve a God who is infinitely better than any app. He is the true treasure. He has poured out His love on us. He has lifted us up and given us value by sacrificing His Son for us. When His Son died, that conferred value on us. And at this stage in the epilogue, as people who have seen what God has already done, of course we should want to make much of God because He has made much of us. He's been so kind to us. We should want to bring Him glory and, um, through loving Him and loving our spiritual families. And loving Him and loving our spiritual family, Peter says, is the primary way that we do that. Um, Jesus, when asked what is the, the most important commandment, said, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And Peter here makes that obvious. When we love and we prioritize Him, we prioritize our spiritual family, through His power, through His strength, we are demonstrating through our actions, which speak louder than our words ever can, (coughs) that we have something better to live for than the rest of the world. We have the true treasure and that it is valuable to us. I'd like to close with the final words of our passage in verse, um, in verse 11. And then we'll immediately launch into prayer. To Him, our God, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you that we live in the last days. That we get to see how you have acted in history to save us. That we have your word that we can read. That we can understand the fuller picture the beautiful story that you wove into history with the climax with your your son's death and and resurrection for our sake. What a twist that you would value us who are sinful 
that you would want to adopt us into your family. We pray, Father, that you would help us to live as if we truly are in the last days. Because we, we, we are, but we need to live as if we are. Pray that that would be incorporated into our understanding of the world. That it would change the way that we act. That we would value you. We would spend time with you in prayer. That we would value our spiritual family. And show love to them in a practical manner. That we'd be able to overlook their sin. We pray especially that our lives might bring you glory and honor. You are great. You are deserving of glory and honor. Independent of us. But we also recognize that you are also deserving of glory and honor because of what you have done for us. We would like to, um, through our lives, bring you much glory and honor. And we ask for your help as we try to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen.